if you've been with us for the last few uh, weeks, you know that um, we've been working our way through the titles that uh, Matthew uses in his gospel about Jesus. And um, the sort of the premise of it all, the sort of the idea of it is this. That when Matthew introduces his gospel, he wants to introduce um, a document, a book, that will enable you to be a disciple of Jesus. But in order to be a disciple of Jesus, you've got to understand who he is. And so he's going to put in a number of titles of Jesus so that you might understand who he is. And um, we've looked at Messiah, we looked at Emmanuel, and today we're going to look at Jesus, the child, and specifically the refugee child. We're going to read from Matthew 2, and we've got three readers to come. Uh, So it's Mark and Shirley and Jill are going to come. can't remember quite in what order they're going to be reading this, but hopefully they do. like three wise monkeys. (laughs) Who's first? Okay. Is it easier if I hold? Yes. Okay. You need to get on your right page. You're reading from chapter one. Uh, Chapter two. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests, The teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judah, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. But for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. It's not on there. Don't worry, you keep reading now, I'll work out what's going on here. I think I just missed that bit out, really. I mean, it's quite important, but I just missed it out, I think, essentially. You keep reading. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, 
in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. Thank you, I ruined your reading. I do apologise. I did have all the right text. (laughs) You know how that sentence ends, don't you? Okay. So I'm sorry I did ruin that. But let me just take you back to it because actually all the text is there. And what I want you to notice is this. So this is the whole of the chapter. Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Look how many times the child is mentioned. Jesus is hardly ever referred to by his name. It's the child. Look, one, there, 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 and there, and there. In fact, nine times. Why does Matthew do that? Well, let's get it sorted in our heads first. I don't know about you, but you've probably got a nativity set scattered around your house somewhere. And uh, this is a knitted one, not in my house. But um, you can get them in all manner of ways. But what any nativity scene will have will be these component parts. You've got shepherds, you've got Mary, you've got Joseph, you've got a baby, you've got the sheep. And you've got the three wise men. And of course, when we tell the Christmas story and we enact it, we have everybody at the same time in the stable. We're far enough away from Christmas for me just to tell you what I think you know. There probably wasn't a stable and they weren't white, they weren't kings. We're not even sure there were three. And they certainly weren't there on the night he was born. But apart from that, it's almost exactly true. If you've got a problem with any of that, if that's shaken any of your faith in Jesus, then I will talk to you afterwards and and go through it. But it's important that you know that that's not necessarily the way it was. Matthew introduces his story like this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked... Where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. So, and again, you know this, these magi, they were foreigners. They were not 
worshippers of Jehovah. They were foreigners. They were outsiders. They were distant travelers. They didn't look like anybody in Israel. They didn't sound like anybody in Israel. They didn't speak the same language as anybody in Israel. But they'd come because they were intrigued by what they'd seen. And they said to um, Herod, we've come to worship the one who's been born the king of the Jews. And Steve last week talked about the difference between being sort of put in place as a king and being born as a king. When Herod realized he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he'd learned from the Magi. Why did Herod decide to kill everybody under two? Well, because he wanted to make sure he could get Jesus. Now, all the boys in Bethlehem, they reckon that because of the population of the time and sort of like doing the best guess, probably about 20 children killed. It's not really written about in the history of the time, but then it wouldn't be because Herod did that sort of stuff. It kind of wasn't really worth bothering about. But Herod decides in Bethlehem, I want to try and kill all the boys under two. So when Matthew writes his gospel here, he keeps talking about Jesus the child. Now the problem when you think about Jesus the child is you think about the child as a baby. But actually, if he's under two, Jesus is a toddler. Can you hear them? That's what Jesus sounded like at this time. Jesus the toddler. In fact, He uses the language, not of a baby, but of a toddler. It's the Greek word for little child, toddler. What if Jesus was a toddler? Nine times he uses it. Would the toddler Jesus have been running around making strange noises like toddlers do? Would he have hidden behind Mary's skirts? like toddlers do? Does it make the idea of foreigners who come to worship a toddler sound a little stranger than come to worship the baby on the night he was born? Oh, isn't that sweet? No, this is a toddler that squirms. Have you ever tried to hold a toddler? Jesus, this toddler... So why does he use it? Well, it's not just that Jesus is a toddler, but Matthew tells us that Jesus is the refugee toddler. He escapes. He escapes for the same reason that refugees always escape. Because their life is under threat. 
Why would you get on a canoe or an inflatable dinghy and try and cross the sea? Unless you thought that anything you were going to go into was going to be a thousand times than you've experienced yourself. Jesus, the vulnerable one, when they'd gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. In Egypt, in Alexandria, there was a, there was a community of Jews that lived there. And Jesus' refugee did what refugees always do. Why would you choose to go where you choose? Because you've got other people who are like you. And in Alexandria, in Egypt, there were Jews. And so Jesus is taken to another community of people who understand him in Egypt. And so they escape the death of the under twos. Way back in the 4th century, a, a preacher, John Chrysostom, if you want to know, but he just made this really interesting point. He said, Joseph doesn't seem that surprised. Joseph is the one who God has come to in a dream and said, this boy is going to be absolutely the turning point. He's going to be God Emmanuel with us. He's going to be the one who saves his people from their sins. And now, escape. Because this boy's life is in danger. And Joseph doesn't say, oh God, God, I thought you said it was all going to be great. Joseph just takes the boy and goes. God becomes a child. And the child is in danger. And the child becomes a refugee. And there's at least a couple of things going on. One of the things is that, that Jesus is reliving Israel's story. All the way through the gospel, that's what's happening. Do you remember Moses? Do you remember when he was saved? Because he was put in a little coracle. And Egypt saved Moses. And then Moses left Egypt. Do you remember the 40 years in the wilderness? Do you remember all of that? Well, Jesus is going to come and relive Israel's story. But Jesus is also going to live our story. Jesus is God Emmanuel, who becomes fully one of us without ever stopping being who he was. God with us. God on a cross, God on a resurrection, living our story, stepping into the most vulnerable shoes. I was intrigued by this idea that when Matthew uh, introduces this story of chapter 2, all the way through, he never refers to Jesus, the toddler, as Jesus. He just always says the toddler, the toddler, the toddler, the child, the child, the child, nine times. And I was intrigued by the fact that later in his gospel, he's going to say this. He called a little child to him, placed the child among them, and he said, let me paraphrase, because it's an accurate paraphrase. He called a little toddler to him, and he placed the toddler among them, 
And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little toddlers, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this toddler is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such toddler in my name uh, welcomes me. Jesus the child, Jesus the toddler, Jesus the one who escaped, Jesus the one who came, God amongst us, is now saying, in chapter 18 when he's an adult, in the same way as I've been treated, so will you treat others. So are they a nuisance? Or is Jesus in the crash? Are they disturbing? And it's like, oh, I just wish they'd shut up and go away. Or is Jesus in the crash? And if you knew that Jesus was in the crash, who put the hand up to be on crash duty? Those of you that are teachers, if you knew that tomorrow morning at half past nine, Jesus is in the class, would that change how you prepare today? You that look after grandchildren, if you knew that Jesus was amongst your brood, would that stop you rolling the eyes when your children ask, can you look after them again? And when you see a child murdered, would it break your heart more? Jesus, in this chapter, goes on and says, Woe to them who cause these little ones harm. Why? Because I'm there. I'm there as the vulnerable. I'm there with the desperate. I'm there with the weakest. And then later he will say the passage that you know only too well. The king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you... um, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was ill and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you like this? And the king will reply, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Matthew wants you to know That when Jesus came, he came as the child, the vulnerable child. And actually, the way you act towards the vulnerable reflects what you think of Jesus. So two things I want to say. When you read this story of Jesus, this Christmas story, this Christmas story of a child who comes, a magi who come, and then 
the child who has to flee, I want you to know that it's a story for you, for you in your frailty, for you in your fragility, for you in your vulnerability. God comes as one of us and he stands with us. To you that are broken and fragile and helpless, there's hope and it's in Jesus. Come and receive his salvation, his rescue, his fullness. It's for you. And to those of you that have, know that it's for them. It's for the families that you see on the TV. What if Jesus is one of them? It's the families that you meet in the street. It's the ones on the precinct. It's the ones that other people talk about negatively. If you knew Jesus was amongst them, how would it change the way we act? God becomes a toddler. And that toddler grows into a man who one day will say, the way you treat the weakest is really what you think of me. It's as simple as that. And the extent to which you are negative, to the extent to which you write them off, to the extent to which you just close your heart, is the extent to which you close your heart to Jesus. And we will say to him one day, I never realized. And he said, I was there all the time. I was in the crash. And you complained. I was in the classroom and you didn't have enough patience. I was at the end of your street. You just didn't stop. You saw me on the news and you kept on assuming the worst. You didn't stand up for me when other people were putting me down. I was always here. So we need another way of saying what we believe. I came across this creed. We don't, we, in our church, we sing creeds. We don't speak them, but this is a creed. Go with it with me. I'm not expecting you to say it, by the way, but let me read it for you. I believe in almighty God who guided the people in exile and in Exodus, the God of Joseph in Egypt and Daniel in Babylon, the God of foreigners and immigrants. I believe in Jesus Christ, a displaced Galilean who was born away from his people in his home, who fled his country with his parents when his life was in danger. And when he returned to his own country, he suffered under the oppression of Pontius Pilate, the servant of a foreign power. Jesus was falsely accused, beaten, tortured, and unjustly condemned to death. But on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead, not as a scorned foreigner, but to offer us citizenship in heaven. 
I believe in the Holy Spirit, the eternal immigrant from God's kingdom amongst us, who speaks all languages, lives in all countries, and reunites all races. I believe that the church is the secure home for all foreigners and for all believers. I believe that the communion of the saints begins when we accept all God's people in all their diversity. I believe in the forgiveness of sin, which makes us all equal, and in reconciliation, which heals our broken. I believe that in the resurrection, God will unite us as one people in which all are distinct and all are alike at the same time. Amen. (laughs) And if I believe that, then it cuts across my racism. If I believe that, then it cuts across my judgmentalism. If I believe that, it brings a compassion to my heart that says, actually, now I'm never going to just write people off. If I believe that, I'm called to act. Because the toddler was amongst us.